reading from verse 36 to 44. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving, and giving in marriage. Up to the day of Noah, up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with the handwork. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect. that we may hear and our hearts that we may understand in your holy name. Amen. Good morning church. Thank you for all your patience with our technical difficulties and thank you to Leroy for um, working under pressure to make us have I appreciate you Leroy a lot. As I was preparing for this talk this week, I realized two things. One, the last time I preached at St. John's was the 19th of December 2021. So obviously Jeremy thinks that I'm an Advent preacher, um, which is why I'm just joking. It was actually on me, Jeremy. And the second thing is that today is actually my last sermon as a staff worker in the parish of St. John's, the evangelist Weinberg, um, which is really, really sad and exciting all at the same time. I've been part of this staff for 16 years. I came here as a final year theology student from Cornerstone, 20 years old, fresh, with great ideas to change the world and to see lots and lots and lots of people come to faith in Jesus. And uh, I don't know how far I've gotten with changing the world, obviously, you know. But I do think that that lots and lots and lots and lots of young people have come to faith in Jesus. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for being a landing place for me over the last 16 years. Um, for being home. Even though I embark on this journey uh, to become an ordained priest, like this will still be home for me, you know. This is where all my aunties and uncles and mommies and daddies and friends and families. And so... I want to thank you for all the trust you put in me all those years ago. 
and for helping me to become the person and leader that I am today. So, thank you, St. John's. It's been a, a wild ride, a very, very wild ride. Today is the first Sunday in the liturgical year of the church. It's also the beginning of Advent. And the season of Advent can be traced back as far as the 4th or 5th century, when uh, Christians would spend 40 days between now and this, the Feast of Epiphany, which happens in around January, preparing their hearts by offering penance and fasting and praying for the baptism of new Christians. A century or so later, the church tied the season of preparation to the coming of Christ. And the word Advent comes from the word Adventus, which is a Latin word, and it means coming, waiting for the coming. But it's actually the, the root word of the Greek word parousia, and parousia means arrival. Essentially, Advent is the season of anticipation of the coming of Christ. And so we prepare and we wait. And when the, the church tied this season to the season of, of Christ's coming, they would spend, just like they did for the new Christians, they would spend 40 days offering penance and fasting and praying. Because Christ was coming back soon, right? Christ was coming back soon. And so they earnestly offered these prayers and penance for the coming of Christ again. That Christ was coming back soon. Over time, Advent has traditionally become a season with a double meaning. One, we observe and recognize that Christ came in human flesh to be and dwell amongst us. And so we celebrate that, particularly at Christmas time, that Christ came to be with us, the creator of the cosmos, the one who rules the world, came to be present with us, the divine. But also, it's also we are waiting in anticipation because Christ will come again. It's that marvelous prayer in our Eucharist. Christ is risen. Christ, Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. It's one of the cornerstones of the things we believe that Jesus Christ is really coming back. It's not a fiction of our imagination. And so Advent was that season, or is that, that season for us. And over the last five years or so, I've really developed an appreciation for the calendar of the church. You know, growing up in a, in a priest's household, you have all of these things and you pay attention to none of them, right? And um, you just at church all the time, every week. And you don't know why you're going, but you are there loving it, right? But as I have gone on this journey myself, I've really, I've really begun to appreciate the, the seasons and the calendar of the church because these seasons actually in the midst of all the busyness around us draw our attention to help us to pause to make sure our lives are ordered and reordered because i'm not sure how often we spend time comprehending that the god who created the heavens and the earth came to dwell among us sat here, if it was not sat here in our pews, the God who came, who created the heavens and the earth, 
came to dwell among us. The Almighty, Most Holy, and Magnificent One stepped into our chaos, stepped into our grieving, stepped into our separation to be present with us. Today, as we start Advent in 2022, we started in the middle of war, in the midst of human rights catastrophes all over the world, in different pockets of the world. We come at the start of Advent in the middle of an economic crisis. And we come to pause, to remember, to imagine, and maybe even to consider how we can participate in the hope of God for our world. Now, our pedicope in Matthew this morning is, um, is part of Jesus' response to the question that the disciples pose at him. In the beginning of chapter 24, the disciples ask him, So, Jesus, can you tell us what time and when all of these things will happen? Fair question, I think. It's a question we all ask in the spaces we navigate. What time is it starting and how long will it take? Right? We all ask that question because we have lives to live. The disciples wanted to be ready when all of these things were happening. So they asked Jesus the question of time. When, Jesus? When will it happen so that we don't miss it? So that we're not sleeping? So that we awake and ready for when it all happens? Time and information are precious commodities in our lives. Precious, precious commodities. And we need that in order to make informed decisions about whatever lies ahead. But faith, you see, faith doesn't operate along the same lines. Because God doesn't call us to know. God calls us to be known. God doesn't call us to know. God calls us to be known. And so Jesus, in his layered response to the disciples, layered with prophecy and warning and lessons from the saints of old, reminds the disciples this truth. As I read the scripture this week, this, this, the gospel reading this week, this just stuck with me the entire time. This is what Jesus reminds them. Nobody knows by God. That's very hard. I don't know if you find that hard. I find that really hard. Nobody knows but God. Not the Archbishop of Cape Town or the Archbishop of Canterbury. Not the school teacher, the principal, the theologian, or even this worship team here. Not Jeremy the priest. Not your husband or your wife or even the King of England. Nobody knows but God. That is both a scary thought but also a liberating one at the same time. I remember in the beginning of my and Lindsay's marriage, um, she's pulling a face at me here. Um, we were married for, we are married, we celebrated 10 years on Thursday, by the way. Um, and in the beginning of our, of our marital journey, thank you so much, in the beginning of our, of our journey of marriage, uh, Lindsay said two things to me. She said, 
Thing number one, Keegan, her expectation was that I was going to love God more than I loved her. And the second thing that she wanted me to know was that I was never going to be able to fulfill all the needs. Dean said, oh, yo, because that's exactly my response. Yo. I was never going to be able to fulfill all her needs. I was a young guy getting married to the love of my life and she's putting the record straight. And so it was very hard for me. My ego took a massive knock and I wasn't even sure how long this thing would last. But here we are 10 years later and a lot of lessons learned. But what Lindsay did that day for me, I didn't know it at the time, what she did that day for me was she set me free from believing that I needed to know everything and be everything. Because here's the thing that I needed to realize as a 26 year old, I am not God, only God is God. She set me free from unfair expectations and when I, when that landed from me, when I understood what she was trying to say, I could become the best husband, best friend, best leader, best youth pastor I could ever be because I was becoming free of those unfair expectations that I placed on myself. And I share the story with you because how often do we believe that we have to know, right? People get paid money to know things. It's a career, a career of knowing. Our identities are shaped around being the ones who know. Who are we going to ask? We're going to ask Leroy because he knows. So we can ask him. So Leroy's entire, this is not fully, I'm just using Leroy as an example. Entire identity can be shaped around the fact that he is ought to know because people are going to ask him. Our whole society is oriented towards this kind of gratification. Our education system supports that. The best, the first, the one who is right. Relationships get broken and sometimes churches split. Communities are in tatters because we are formed to be right more than we are formed to be in relationship. And so being right outweighs relationship. But this morning, at the beginning of Advent, I really think that Jesus is calling us to a different way. A way of submission to the unknown. Because nobody knows. Only God. When I was the youth pastor of this church, we would spend countless hours with young people asking me all sorts of questions about faith and life and God. I honestly thought I knew the answers. And so I gave it to them. The things I thought I knew. The truth is, I didn't know. Only God did. And so I ended up saying, Guys, I actually don't know, but I really believe this stuff. That's where I'm going to land here. I really believe this, but I actually don't know. And I think God is calling us to this submission to the unknown. To submit ourselves to a God who knows all things and yet we know very little. And God says, trust me. Come and be present with me. To the place of of not knowing, of, of laying down and of recognizing all of who we are before a loving and holy and present God. To recognize that only God is God. To lay down our opinions, our answers, 
and to listen to God and to one another. To learn to walk in repentance. Our liturgy in the Anglican Church invites us to repentance every single time we gather. Whether we're doing morning or evening prayer together, whether we're gathering for a Eucharist service, there's always that moment in the time of gathering where we come to confess before God that actually we've not lived in the way that God desires of us. It's a reminder for us that we are not God and that we come before our Holy God whose arms are so, so very wide, welcoming, welcoming us in with, with grace and mercy. To learn to repent from always wanting to be right and the best and the first and learning to trust in God. I don't know about you, but I have that problem. I always want to be right. It is very difficult to not be. And so, even in this friendship that Lindsay and I have over the last 22 years, it's been a pruning, pruning time for me to recognize that everything isn't about me. And that actually being right is not the most important thing in the world. It is not because you may win and yet lose a relationship. This morning I think God is calling us to step down from our positions of power. To find ways to give power away. Last week I was preaching at St. Paul's and we were speaking about Christ the King. And I compared Christ the King to the crown. Anybody watch the crown on Netflix? Nobody watches Netflix here. You are all amazing. Um, we watch Netflix and we also watch the crown. It is a series on the life of Queen Elizabeth. And the crown tells this over the top. Lavish verbose, exaggerative story of the life of the monarch. It is, it is way over the top. Oh my goodness. And I was saying to the church that this king is not that kind of king. And this kingdom is not that kind of kingdom. This king is not set in lofty places or in palaces. This king, no, chooses to be on a cross, to die for the ones he loves. And so Jesus shows us the ultimate way to deal with power, to give it away. Because when we give power away, we learn to see one another for who we are. And then we are able to enter into real and life-giving friendship. It's a hard place this morning. This message, I had, I had a plan that I was going to come here and speak. Oh, and then I read the text. And I was like, it's a hard message. It's hard to sit in the tensions that it creates our ideas of power and God's ideas of freedom. Our ideas of control and God's ideas of flourishing. Our ideas of following and God's ideas of submission. It's hard. But I want to encourage us this morning to not move too quickly from discomfort. But to sit in the discomfort, to stay there, to hear, and maybe even feel the invitation from God this morning. As you know, I leave after 16 years to go to Makanda next year as part of my training. I'm there for nine months training, to, um, training for priesthood. And this has been a very, very hard journey. 
Even though I've been accepted uh, about a year, 18 months ago almost now, um, and last year the bishop said, are oh, you going? You're going to Makanda in 2023. The, the, the truth is that in September of this year, I wasn't sure that I was going to Makanda. Because I quit my job. I don't even know if we were going to have enough money to take care of our bills. I didn't know what was going to happen. I was crying and stressed and nervous. Because I'm like, God, I really feel called to this thing. But why is it so hard? I mean, surely if I'm called to this thing, you're going to sort me out. You're then calling me. I'm confused. And, um, and so I was on a call two weeks ago with um, a friend who's also a spiritual director. He's an Episcopal priest in the Diocese of North Carolina. And as we were sharing, I was telling him about, you know, how I'm feeling and just how hard this has been. And he said to me, Keegan, are you going to live out of faith or out of fear? I was like, yeah, that's a bit harsh. And then he said, let me tell you this. This is what I hear you say. I hear you say that you are sure God is calling you and you are sure that God is faithful. And I cried. I cried because don't we all want to believe that God is faithful? And I cried because it's, it, is, it is hard to give up your stuff. It is hard to surrender to the fact that only God knows, not you. You don't know what God does. And so that process of giving up my control and my stuff and my ideas and how I wanted the thing to plan out and say, okay, God, you take it because I trust that you are faithful is a very, very hard process. And I still, we still don't have all that we need for next year. But we went on this week of prayer and fast. And every day somebody would ask me, how are you feeling today? And for some reason that week, nothing had changed around me, but I was feeling okay. Because something in me decided that I was going to trust God. And it's, it's as though God gives us a little bit every day to trust Him for tomorrow. Just enough for us to say, okay God, I know you got this. But not enough for us to become super confident. Just enough to be sure that God is who He says He is. And the beauty of this whole story is that all, all the things we needed has literally come through our community of faith, through the people that we love, who love us. And that's the thing about this faith story, man, is that we don't do faith alone. We don't enter into a relationship with God by ourselves. We enter into this long lineage of faith, just like that early Christians who gathered for preparation for those who were going to be baptized to offer penance and prayer and to fast. We gather with them. We are part of an old, old faith with deep, deep roots. And the story that God is faithful was then, is present now and will be. It is evidence there. We may not know what is coming, but we, what we do know what has come. And so we walk with these saints, the ones who have gone before us and the ones who walk beside us. Advent 
is such a poignant reminder to us that the story we are part of is bigger than just us. The last two years, all of us have had to focus on our own lives, on our own realities because of COVID. Rightly so. It was important. Rightly so. We zoomed in. And what Advent does for us, it zooms us out and says, hey, you are part of a big story. The story of God in the world. The story of redemption and restoration and transformation and salvation. A story that we are invited to participate in. A reminder for the people of God everywhere today. That hope, that hope is not an abstract idea. That hope is tangible. That hope was embodied on a cross. That hope rose from the dead. That hope is coming again. That hope is present in the community of faith around us. And it meets us at our most desperate and vulnerable moment. This morning we are reminded that especially when we don't know, especially when Jesus is inviting us into submission of the unknown, that God knows full well. So as we step into this first week of Advent, may we have the courage to answer God's invitation into the mystery of faith. May we receive the grace of God to recognize our own sins, our own complicity, our own unkindness, the ways in which we haven't loved as God desires with God, with each other. But may we also receive God's goodness that leads us to repentance. And lastly, may we have the peace of Christ so that our relationships in this community, in our families, and in our workplaces can be restored and renewed as we make way in our hearts and in our lives for the coming of the one who makes all things new. Amen. Thank you.